Well, I've already started on this message this morning. Some of you weren't here. Some of you listened to it maybe online. But uh, we're going to uh, just briefly mention the first point and then move on. And hopefully I'll be able to finish this message in one last swat here. Be patient and uh, we'll uh, see what the Lord has for us to uh, understand and to appreciate of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the word of First Peter that uh, Kent read to us this morning. Yes, we are very aware of our position in Jesus Christ and make us even more aware of that and what it means for us and how much it really counts the decisions that we make today and these days. Empower your word now as we look into it. Teach us. Speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in the series called Looking to Jesus, and this is a race that we are in. He's the one that is our forerunner. He's running ahead of us. He's setting the pace. He's the one who is our model. And much more than a model, he is the one who is pulling us along in the same pattern of how he ran a race here on earth. He's our champion. And he's our champion before those who would accuse us and try to put us down and say, you're no good. This is not anything for you to grasp onto or, or to have hope in. But the Lord is one who comes to us and encourages us. Those that are pushed down and have lost hope, have had trials and troubles that have overcome and more than overcome us to the point where we are just reaching up for any hand to grab us. And Jesus can do that. We're convinced of that. Why? First of all, we've had experience in those kind of situations. Also, we have the Word of God. And over the years, we have learned to trust it as our foundation. And that what we read is really what you get. You've heard the term, you see what you get. Well, we are hearing the word of God, and it is what is being delivered to us, not just here in this room, but for centuries now. People have relied upon this word as the firm word of God. Jesus Christ, who is our mediator, the one who is standing before the Father, His blood is pleading for us. It is cleansing us and bringing us into a relationship with a righteous God that we could never develop that relationship on our own. There is nothing that we could do of goodness and and good heart other than coming to Jesus and saying, cleanse me and I want your righteousness, your power in my life to live the Christian life. None of us can live the Christian life. It's impossible. And to think that we 
could do it on our own doesn't make sense. We have to rely on someone. And that someone has to be perfect. He has to be complete. He has to be righteous. And we have to be able to receive that in humility and understanding that he has come to die for me in my place so that he becomes what we call a personal savior, a personal lawyer, a personal mediator. He knows me and he knows how to interpret me to the Father through what he has lived here on earth. What a mediator, what a lawyer. We've talked about this several times, haven't we? Of who Jesus Christ really is. Between man and a holy God, his Father. Bringing us into that holy place, the holy of holies, to where we can stand without condemnation, without feeling like we are dirtbags, that we are nothing. But he makes us into his sons and daughters. He makes us a new people with hope. And that's what the message is here this morning. I'm going to pick it up again now on verses 15 to 28. For this reason, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, that's the law, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where a covenant is, there must of necessity be the death of the one who made it. For a covenant is valid only when men are dead, for it is never in force while the one who made it lives. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, He would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. 
Jesus, our mediator, our lawyer. First point was of the new covenant or the will. And we talked about covenant and will. And there's a difference between covenant and will. But the author of Hebrews kind of uses it interchangeably so that we wonder, well, is he talking about a will or is he talking about a covenant? Well, the end result of both of these which do, in fact, come through Jesus Christ, through the Old Testament covenants and wills and agreements that God, a holy God, has made with us, his people, and all the peoples of the earth, that if we come on these conditions, he will, in fact, enforce them and back them up and keep that covenant and that will. But the fine difference between a covenant and a will is a covenant is, is made in agreement between two people, whereas a will is made by one person or a group of persons for those who are following after them. In other words, when they make your will, and perhaps some of you in this room have a will, but many of you are too young probably to even start thinking about having a will, but I think it's a good thing for you to do that. I mean, who are you going to leave your dog with? <laughs> the, the will is executed not at the time that a person makes that. They make the will, they hand it over to a lawyer, and he holds that. And then when they pass on from this life, the will is executed. It's taken to a court, and then the will is parsed out according to what that person, what his will was. As I told you, Katie and I have a will, and it's not worth much. And I don't think our kids are sitting around just waiting for mom and dad to pass on. And that's why we don't have much, so that they will really appreciate us, even though we don't have a lot to pass on to them. But we are thinking that someday we will be gone and perhaps they will be here and they can benefit from the $250 a month that each of them will receive. I'm just being facetious. <laughs> it's much, much more than that, I'm sure. <laughs> but that is the difference between a covenant and a will. But in both cases here in Hebrews, when he talks about covenant or will, he interchanges them. He's talking about one person who has made a covenant and that is God the Father and God the Son. A covenant to his people. It is a covenant in blood. And we've talked about how gruesome a subject that might be. And even last week, I think I overstepped myself a little bit in using an illustration about Moses taking the blood and a sponge or a hyssop and sprinkling all the articles of worship in the tabernacle. And he took also another bowl of blood and he sprinkled the people. And I overstepped it by probably saying, oh, how gruesome that would be to have blood on your shirt. And I was kind of convicted that I said, 
I would be proud that I have blood on my shirt. Well, I don't think that's appropriate. It is a gruesome thing to think of blood and someone dying on my behalf. And I should be more respectful of the blood of Jesus. It's not just something that we flaunt. It's not something that we we just make light of. It's precious. And it forever holds us dear to the Father as his children. And so when we sing about the blood of Jesus, it's really by the fact that we have been covenanted to be the children of God by accepting Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf. That's simply what it means to be a Christian. It has nothing to do with how good I am. In fact, what Kent read about Bob Pierce could be said about me. Katie's lived with me now for 55 years. Thank you. And she knows exactly what I'm talking about right now. You might think, oh, Ron, he's a very tender-hearted person. Yeah, when I get up here and I start talking about Jesus, I have a lot of tears. But you ought to see me when I'm really emotional. And I was not, and I'm still not that easy to live with. But she loves me. She's patient. But it's by the grace of God that he has accepted me with all my bad points. And that is what salvation means. That is what it means to be a Christian. We are not perfect. But we are forgiven. That is what he has done for us. Not perfect, but forgiven. And you know, that's a big deal, isn't it? It really is. When you know how much he knows about you, or me, and then to be able to understand he accepts me because I simply came in Jesus' name. What a grace. What a gift. What a life. What eternal life because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't think I'm going to finish this message this morning either. I better get along. Therefore, it was necessary is our second point, and we'll go right into that. And then the third is, it is appointed for men to die. Therefore, it was necessary. Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands. The death of Jesus Christ was necessary as the Lamb of God because what he was doing in his hanging on the cross was taking all the punishment upon him and as a substitutionary death, he was dying for all who would ever confess him as their Lord and Savior and acknowledge that death and they would be forgiven. So it was necessary for Jesus to die. It was necessary for him to go to the cross That is the reason why he came. 
And so he entered a holy place not made with hands, like as in the tabernacle, but he hung on a cross in open public so that everybody could see and know that his death was for everyone. And lots of people have referred to why a cross? Have you ever thought of that? I think I've mentioned it before that a cross is really the only death instrument or mechanism which you can't inflict upon yourself. Have you ever thought of that? You can poison yourself, you can gas yourself, you can shoot yourself, you can hang yourself, you can drown yourself, but you cannot execute yourself on a cross by yourself. You can nail the nails in your feet or this one hand, but who is going to do this other hand? Unless you can come up with another execution thing that you cannot do to yourself. So it wasn't suicide that Jesus had done. He was killed by sin. My sin. Your sin. Our sin. It was that last nail that hung him there, which was my sin, our sin. He was the sacrifice lamb. It was necessary for him to die. And he entered into a holy place, not made with hands. Nor was it he would offer himself often. Once. One death for all. In other words, what it says over and over in Hebrews, once for all, once for all, once for all. It repeats, the author repeats that statement. It's once, one person died once. For who? For all. Every person that's ever been born on this planet Earth is covered. Unfortunately, Many have not heard, and God is the judge, and he is holy. He knows what that person knew and what their situation was. But there are many who say, I don't believe in that kind of a salvation. It's a bloody religion, and they reject. And if they only knew what they were rejecting... He didn't have to offer himself. But now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This is an interesting phrase here in verse 26. But now once at the consummation of the ages. You know, the writer of Hebrews, as we've said, wrote this probably just prior to the temple being torn down by the Romans, probably somewhere around 65 AD that he wrote this. And the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. So this is a late letter. In fact, this letter written by an unknown author didn't make it into the Bible until sometime in the 400s, 400 years later. Was it recognized as a legitimate book of the Bible? 
and it was canonized. It was incorporated into the accepted scriptures. So for all those years, not many people read this book. But when it did reach the canon, there were a lot of people who began to read Hebrews and understand more deeply what the Old Testament teachings were all about. And so we had kind of a window open to us through this book of the Hebrews. And I thank God for this. As I've told you, this is the first time I preached all the way through Hebrews. And I am loving this. I'm learning more than you are. And I'm learning more than what I can really teach you. Maybe next time around, you'll understand more because I'll, I'll be able to understand how to put it forward. But right at this point here, the early church at the time of this writing in 65 AD, they were right in a transition period between coming out of the Old Testament economy of the temple worship and coming to a place where the temple worship was disintegrating or it was being watered down. It was not as true as what it had been in centuries previous. Remember how Jesus would criticize the Sadducees and Pharisees? Because they weren't really following the law. They weren't following the scriptures. It was self, it was man-made religion. And the Jewish religion at that point was really not effective. And so it became an awareness of the Christians, those who were following Jesus Christ, that they were following a new religion or a new faith or a new way. In fact, they were called the people of the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And they were persecuted. They were railed on by the temple leaders. And many of them were killed. In fact, you know, everyone except about two disciples died by crucifixion, by the sword, or by stoning. It was costly to be a Christian back in those days. And so the Old Testament era was ending. Soon the temple would be destroyed. And where would they sacrifice? According to scriptures, they couldn't sacrifice anywhere except in the place that was designated there in the temple. It's either the tabernacle or the temple. And so there hasn't been sacrifices since then. And that's why right now the Jewish people are excited about Jerusalem being recognized as the center of their worship. And they are planning to build a new temple. And whether it will be built or not, I don't know. But the question is, who is the real lamb? He died once for all. And so it's not necessary to be sacrificing animals any longer. Jesus Christ has been sacrificed for us on behalf of every one of us. And that's why in this verse here he says, Now once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But there were other things that were happening that 
the disciples asked Jesus to teach them and show them the way. And even while Jesus, even before he went to the cross, he began to prophesy and teach that after his death, many would come saying that they are the Christ or pointing to a false Christ. And so that the church would be distracted or detoured from following Jesus Christ, the only Lamb of God. And so they came to him and said, when is your coming? If you are leaving, when are you coming back? And he talked about the consummation of the ages or the end of the ages. One of the things that you'll find in Matthew chapter 24, and if you want to do this as homework or or extra points, is to read chapter 24 of Jesus talking to his disciples about when he would be coming back. And he refers to the fact that there will be famines, there'll be earthquakes, there'll be wars, there'll be persecutions. All of these signs will come. But do you know the thing that he repeated the most is a sign of the end of the age? It's false prophets and false teachers. We have right now available to us on the internet and through other media, publications and all, people who are claiming to be either the Christ or to have an inside track with him. There is more false teaching that is happening in our world today than anything that we've ever experienced in the past. And I'm not trying to build us up as being, we've got the answer completely. We're still on the way. But our focus is on Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, that there is no other way for salvation. And that's not for us to boast, but it is what has been given to us and entrusted to us as what we call the good news. Any other way is by good works. This in relying upon Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Like in the testimony that Bob Pierce gave in this, that Kent read for us, this is the answer for the world. This is the gospel. That Jesus Christ died once for all. That is our hope. That's our trust. And we're not going to be deterred from that or distracted by it. Be careful. Check people out when you're listening online or you're listening to tapes or whatever that people give you. Check it out. See how close they are to the scriptures. It is appointed for men to die. This verse, I believe, is being taken out of context quite a bit. This verse is that it is appointed for men to die, and after that, the judgment. And some, they're they're not false cults. Some Christians use this verse to teach us that we're going to die, and after that is the judgment. And that is true about every one of us. There's only one way to get off this planet, 
And it's not in a spaceship. It's through death. We're doomed to die, every one of us. Unless you happen to be the fortunate one who will be at the end times when Jesus comes and will be lifted up right straight through the ceiling and right to meet with him. That's what we talk about, the rapture. But we're talking about the only way to get off this earth right now is to die. But this verse is not really talking about us dying. It is that the fact that Jesus Christ took part in the condemnation, the penalty of death for us on our behalf. That's what it's talking about. It's appointed for man to die, and after that, the judgment. Jesus had to die. What was the judgment? The judgment was that he took upon himself our sin. He became what? He became He became sin for us. And you remember when Jesus was dying and he said, it is finished. And the sky went black. And he cried out and said, Father, don't forsake me. And he entered into death on our behalf. It is appointed for men It was appointed for Jesus to die. And after that, the judgment. And he bore the judgment of the Father, the wrath of his Father on him for us. That's astounding to think that. And as I've said before, when Jesus then laid in the grave for three days, and then was raised, and then he ascended to heaven. Our salvation was completely made open for us. There was no way for us to escape not only death, but even getting off this planet and out of judgment, except for Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. All of those are so critical in our belief as Christians. And by his ascension, he broke through the shroud of death that the Old Testament scripture talks about that is wrapping this world, a shroud like a womb. And as the firstborn from the dead, as it calls Jesus, He broke through for us. He was the first man to break through and make a way for us. And so he's called the firstborn from the dead. No man had ever done that before. Every man rotted in the grave. But with Jesus Christ, became the firstborn from the dead. And he broke through and opened up that womb of death so that we can follow behind him and legitimately become the sons and daughters of the Most High. That's the gospel. That's our hope. That's our understanding of what we get from this. And after this comes the judgment. 
so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. To who? To those who eagerly await him. And that's where we are. Do you feel that pull? Do you feel that sense in your own heart? That's what I desire. That is my goal, is to be with him. As soon as this life's over, that's where I'll be. And like Bob Pierce, regardless of what we've done and how we felled up and how we've disappointed not only ourselves, but everybody around us, because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have received forgiveness. We have been made holy in the blood of Jesus Christ, and he's made a way for us to join the Father and stand in that holy place and worship our Father forever, knowing that it's the best thing that ever happened.